morning, everybody. Before we um, look at the scripture that I want to use for this morning, <clears throat> I want to make an announcement um, well, fairly well in advance um, of something that we have been, that's been in the works for quite a while, I suppose six, seven, eight months. Um, we are bringing in for our, um, as a full-time music, Gabe Belden, um, Johnny and Scott's son. Now, um, Jessica, I fire Jessica once, probably once a week. Um, there's sometimes it's a little more than, the, than we miss a week. Um, but I don't know how many of you know that Jessica has two completely unrelated jobs here that she's done for a long time. One is music and the joy of finding volunteers every Sunday, which has gone on for how many ever years she's been doing the music. But she also does all the finances. And I'm thankful. Um, I don't throw this number out to be whatever. But... Jessica has to handle, document, trace um, over a million dollars a year. That's a lot of work. Um, and those two jobs take her in two different directions. And she's been doing that for quite a while. Um, so she is on board completely with this, and as I mentioned, it's been in the works for um, a good amount of time, and we've, what, what Gabe will do is not only the worship music, but what time has prohibited Jessica from doing, and that is junior high and senior high music on Wednesday nights, um, and where Jessica just can't do it. So, I can't thank her enough. Um, we joke about uh, firing her. Listen, if she quit, I think I would quit. Okay? Um, so I just want everybody to know, uh, we waited until Jessica told all the music volunteers here uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, and so now we want to let everyone know that that's um, to take place the first, I think the first week or second week, of January. Um, so anyway, Jessica will still be, um, you'll still see her on the platform, she'll still be playing the piano, she'll still be singing, um, and so very little um, will change as far as her involvement with music, but she just won't be responsible for it and, you know, having to deal with picking music, planning everything on top of all of her other responsibilities. We, we won't be able to get rid of her from the office um, because she's going to be, well, she'll, she'll be in the office, by the way, the same amount of time that she's been for both jobs because both jobs take more time than she can give to them. So she'll be in the office uh, doing the business manager position um, 
at the same amount of office time. So anyway, just to keep you up on that, uh, if you hear anything about it, uh, we're not, even though we joke all the time with her, she's not being fired, okay? Um, at least till after the holidays. <laughs> <clears throat> First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians. Um, the scripture I want to look at today. So if you'll have those two little letters ready, let me give you just a short amount of background here. Um, on Paul's second missionary journey, he took with him Silas and they traveled across uh, what is today the northern part of Turkey and came to the western shore of Turkey. And then God directed them very clearly to go across the Aegean Sea and go to Greece and go to the city of Philippi. Now, Philippi was a Roman colony. Um, it was a special city in that sense, and it was named after Philip of Macedon. Philip, Philip of Macedon was the father of Alexander the Great, and he also had, I don't know how many other children, but he had a daughter named Thessalonica. And so he, Philip, founded the city, in addition to Philippi, he founded the city of Thessalonica, which today is still there in a, in a form and still retains the name. It's just Salonica today. But it was an important city in the Roman Empire, which had taken over the Greek Empire that Alexander um, founded. And Paul and Silas were, remember, run out of Philippi when they were thrown into prison, into the dungeon, and um, scourged, beaten, and they then moved on to Thessalonica. <clears throat> they founded a church there, and in fact were run out of Thessalonica. From there they went to a little place called Berea. Um, Paul then, when they left Thessalonica went to Berea. He left Timothy and Silas in the city of Berea, which was close to Thessalonica, so they could kind of keep an eye on these brand new little churches that they had founded. Paul, in the meantime, goes south to Athens. And it's in Athens in Acts 16 where we find him speaking to the Athenian government, um, their Supreme Court, if you want to call it, their Congress. Um, and that was the address that's spoken of on Mars Hill. Um, while he was at Athens, Timothy and Silas left Thessalonica and Berea and came to follow him in Athens. While in Athens, Paul got, according to the first letter, to the Thessalonians, so concerned about the tribulation that he knew they were going through that he was worried that their faith might fail. And he said, 
we were worried that our labor might be in vain. So he sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to check on them. Meanwhile, he goes from Athens on to Corinth. Okay? Now, Timothy then comes to Corinth with good news that this church in Thessalonica, though they were an infant church, were doing remarkably well in spite of the persecutions, tribulation that they were facing. Um, as far as we know, Paul only in his first visit to Thessalonica was probably only there some months, just a few months, and then left. And it's probably another few months before he writes the first letter to the Thessalonians from Corinth. And then a few more months when he writes 2nd Thessalonians. Probably in A.D. 50 to 51, both these letters were written. I still find it amazing that Thessalonica, the church there, is the best church in the New Testament. They gave Paul the least trouble. They gave him the most joy. They needed the least correction. And they were highly commended for their faith. And they therefore become an example that I want to use this morning. I don't necessarily consider myself bound to the calendar as to what to preach. Um, the Christian calendar is one thing. Um, the secular calendar is another. Now, Thanksgiving is not necessarily a secular concept. But Thanksgiving weekend, usually you preach some kind of a sermon on Thanksgiving and how we ought to all be thankful and so whatever. Okay, Which gets to be sometimes a tiresome subject. Thanksgiving is not all it's cracked up to be. Um, but I really feel like God put a different twist um, in my mind and heart for today. There is no letter that Paul wrote in which he expresses more thanks for the church, for that congregation, than these two letters. In fact, if you are ready, I want to just hit the at least five places in the two letters where he specifically speaks of his thanksgiving for them. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. We'll end there. In the second chapter, the 13th verse, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. In the third chapter, the ninth verse. 
For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Then in Second Thessalonians, written just a few months after the first letter, chapter 1, verse 3, we are bound to thank God always for you. There's that same phrase, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Then in the second chapter, the 13th verse, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are those are the five places where we see we give thanks for you always. If I then were to give a title to this today, it's we give thanks for you always. I think Dan mentioned earlier that this is a good church. Yes, it is. And a church isn't a building. It's not some just organization. There are all kinds of organizations that are maybe decent. But the church is the living body of Christ, and it is the local, organized gathering of believers among whom the Word of God is preached and the sacraments are administered. That's the official definition of a church. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, preaching of the Word, so forth. And that living group of believers works. They impact. They influence. They are God's presence in every community. He intended that. We are God's hands, and we are, in a sense, his lips. We, we speak with our lives. We work with our hands. We do things. We work the work of faith. So there are three things that I want to mention this morning that I am thankful for you. And just personally, I, I know this is recorded and goes out to the hundreds of thousands of people um, that wait with bated breath for every you know, time I get up to speak. Uh, knowing that it's recorded, I have to be careful. Okay? 
I know there are people in former churches that I pastored who listen to these or watch them. So there's a lot of stories I can't tell. <laughs> but let me just say this. A, I've been unusually blessed in my entire ministry with the quality of congregations that I've had the privilege of pastoring. So, and I mean that. And if maybe they can block this, <laughs> this is the best one. And it really is. And you don't know, you can't know how much that means. My first church welcomed me, put up with me. There were some good old saints who'd been in church a long time. And here I was, 22, and I knew everything. And they prayed for me, put up with me, loved me, and really they were the incubator, if you want to use that term, in which I had the privilege of maturing, hopefully, and growing up. And they put up with me for 12 years. Um, but this, this congregation um, is maybe neck and neck with that first one. Wonderful people. But the grace of God seems to have a habit of turning any kind of people into wonderful people. So it doesn't matter, really, what kind of a mess we all are when God gets a hold of us if we just say, yes, Lord. He makes us into good people. And enough of those good people make a good congregation. So, I mean it when I say, I give thanks for this church, for you. And there are three things that I think we could sum up. I wish I could read these are both pretty short little letters, but um, they're filled with commendations and compliments because of their faith, their love, and their hope. Those are the three core, what, aspects, four or three core points to the whole gospel. It's the aim of the gospel. This is reflected by Paul's letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13. Now abides faith, hope, love, these three. The greatest is love. Notice in both these letters, in the introduction, within the first two or three verses of both letters, he speaks of their work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope. So those kind of give me the outline of what I want to give thanks to you for. One, for your establishment. Two, for your example. Three, for your encouragement. Now, <clears throat> what do I mean by all these? For your establishment <clears throat> in verse 2 and 3 of 1, 
We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in the Lord. Now, especially those first two seem to be repetitious. Work of faith, labor of love. But they're not. Labor and work are two different words. Your work of faith speaks to the fact that faith produces specific spiritual works. We're not saved by works. It's a, sometimes it seems a fine line. Works are a fruit of faith. And what are the works of faith? Well, the works of faith are walking with God, absorbing his word into our hearts and applying it in our lives and letting him uh, mold us more and more and more into Christ-likeness. It's praying, it's worshiping, it's witnessing, it's living for God, it's being an ambassador for Jesus in this world. Those are the works of faith. And notice the word here, really, the word's singular. He said, I never forget your work of faith. The reason it's singular, it's also a, a present tense word. Your work is always continuing. You exhibit the works or work of faith. Your lives reflect it. Now, the second word that's translated labor, labor of love, is literally toil. It, it is a word that means difficulty, stretching, sacrificing, going the second and third mile. There's a reason for that. Not taking, obviously, anything away from faith, but love enables us to bear burdens that faith doesn't bear. Jesus trusted, right, in his Father. He committed his spirit unto his Father. But it was love that motivated him to endure the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. Love enables us to do things then that we otherwise wouldn't do because love, the right kind of love, agape love, the love of God flows outward. The love of the world flows inward. And the love that we have in our hearts that God has given as a gift to everyone is twisted so that it's turned in on ourselves. And the chief object of our love is us. Now God has to get at that. He has to root around till he gets to the bottom of that and dig that tap root out of our heart so that we then can love him supremely and through us he loves this world so that we will bear burdens 
and go through difficulties for God's sake and for people's sakes that we otherwise wouldn't do. Now, you might think, okay, what great big things you're thinking about. Nothing great as the world looks at it. But every once in a while, we, you know, we have a group of women that meet at noon on Wednesdays and pray, and then we have another prayer group that meets on Wednesday nights. And usually when I'm um, leaving the office um, for lunch, often I'll stop by that group that meets out in the coffee area, maybe give them an update of some prayer requests or whatever. And just visiting with them, I'll hear about things like this. Um, I took a meal to so-and-so who's had surgery. Um, we need to really pray for so-and-so. They're going through a hard time. There's difficulty that they're dealing with, whatever. Okay? Now, you might think, okay, well, when are you going to tell us about really big stuff? That is big stuff to God. How do I know that? Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water, to one of these people, my people, in the name even of a disciple, you will not lose your reward. He's paying that close of attention. And there are many of us here, faithfully, and I, I talk a lot about, you know, how many years off of purgatory. Um, I'm not a Catholic, but you know I can become a little Catholic when it comes to a servant in the nursery. It's it's up to a thousand dollar or thousand years a Sunday off of purgatory to go back in the nursery. Um, listen, I know a lot of people would rather sleep in. And get here in time for maybe the second service. And that's not a bad thing. But they'll get up early and the musicians will be here at 7.15 or so in the morning. And they'll practice and they'll get ready. There are people who get here early and they go back to the nursery. Or they do children's church or they do the coffee or whatever. And they would rather be left alone. Maybe I am, maybe that's projection. Maybe I am projecting my attitude to you. But there are times when you think, I don't want to do anything. I just want to go. I just want to sit down. And I want to enjoy. But we can't. And life's really not like that. Um, I've had people that I pastored and that I knew. Their goal in life was to obtain a job where they did nothing but open checks written to themselves. That was it. That doesn't exist. Life isn't like that. Life is always throwing us curves, unexpected stuff, things that we would rather not do. <clears throat> but think of this. As Jesus died for us, we all, very, very, very many of us, if not all, have gone through things 
maybe from family or our children or whatever the case is. And we will, love compels us, whether we feel like it or not, to bail them out, help them out, weep over them in the night, pray for them, still continue to pray in many cases, fret. That's why the word love here is coupled with the word toil. It's a darker and deeper and heavier word than the word work of faith. And it means then, love, love compels us if you, if you are compelled to bless the good, help when it's totally easily, easy and costs you nothing, we don't get any credit for that. It's when love compels us through difficulties and through our own sense that I'd rather not, but I will. Because I love them. That's why that word labor is there. It's deeper. I've never seen, I've never seen a congregation like this one for generosity. And I'm not only talking about finances. The giving here is phenomenal. But the volunteering, the gathering together to help people who are in some kind of difficulty, the volume of prayer that goes up for people that are going through loss and difficulty and dark places. That's, we labor in love here. You do. I can't make you do that. You do it by walking with God. Patience of hope is, and the word here for patience is to be under. It's to bear under. It's endurance under difficulty. It's endurance of tribulation. We have tribulation. Life brings it to us. Satan brings it to us. Other people can bring it to us. And it seems that on top of that, then we're grieved over what we may see going on in our country, on our culture, our community. And there's plenty to just be tormented with the hope of heaven is what Paul's talking about is what keeps us and holds us Paul called hope an anchor for the soul the hope of heaven there's a God he will judge he will fulfill his promise he'll keep his word by the grace of God we hope, we look beyond, we look for the, we look at the invisible. And we know, by the grace of God, this isn't forever. God will bring us to where he is forever. I thank God for this congregation's establishment in love faith, hope. And what's it based on? Chapter 1, 9 and 10. Paul said, everybody knows 
about how you, quote, turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his son from heaven who saves us from the wrath to come. What, what's the base? How do you get to where you love and trust and endure? You have a bedrock conversion experience where you turn to God from idols. This case, it was literal stick and stone idols, but the world's full of idols. We don't bow down to rocks and sticks anymore that, that I know of much, but we do to portfolios, to power, to supposed beauty, whatever else. This world's filled with idols. Turning from those to God. That's the core. These Thessalonians had a bedrock conversion experience that they knew about. And they walked with God. We have to. We have to have that. That's the foundation. So we are thankful that you're established. Two, thankful for your example. Paul said, all through Macedonia which is north of Greece, it's still there. That name is still used for that region. He said, all the churches know about you guys. They know how you turn to God. They know how you're walking with God. They know how you are going through the fire. You're going through tribulation, persecution for your faith. And we're able to use you as an example when we in our travels, Paul said, I'm able to tell other churches, listen, let me tell you how the Thessalonians handled that. Let me tell you how they're doing. I can do that with this congregation. I am mostly, there, I, you know, there are always exceptions. But let me just say this. It's pretty rare that I have to be careful in town, in the community, bringing up somebody's name in this congregation and saying, you know so-and-so, they, they're part of my congregation. Now, once in a while, you know, I might not say anything. There's always, again, there's always people that have room to grow, let's put it that way. But what a privilege it is to say, without fretting, that someone's going to stand there and say, well, yeah, I, uh, but I work with them. I know what they sound like. I know how they behave. I don't have to worry about that. I can't tell you what a privilege that is to be able to say, so-and-so is part of this flock. They go to High Plains. That's a privilege that's hard for me to convey. You're an example. Third, you're an encouragement. Paul says, and I'll have to read quickly, but he says, you fill us with joy. We're encouraged by you. And he goes so far in the second letter as to say, I sent Timothy, he said, to make sure you were still standing in the faith because he says this, if you stand, we stand. That's how much it means to a minister 
that the people we pasture, the sheep of God's flock, are solid. That's what keeps you going. There, and I'm not here to say we have it worse than anybody else. Um, that isn't the case. There's discouragements in every walk of life, every career. There's all kinds of self-doubt that you can get into. But one thing I would say, not in a sense at all, please understand me, um, of putting down any other, this is really, I was going to say any other occupation. This isn't an occupation. It's a calling. Paul made it clear, basically, the, I'm only slightly, he said, I'll go to hell if I don't preach. I don't have a choice. That's true. It's a moral decision. You cannot please God if you don't give in to the call to be a minister of the gospel. And the things that we deal with are heaven and hell. You understand what I mean? Now, I know we all deal with things like that in our lives, our children, it, so everybody does. But when your whole calling turns on eternity and how people respond will determine their destiny it matters it's heavy on your heart it troubles you it keeps you up at night because it's heaven or hell so there are times I can't tell you the number of times. Ask my wife. Um, she will probably give you a better um, an accurate description of how often, you know, your chin's skinned up from dragging it on the carpet. Um, I tell you, we'll never make it. You know, I get so tired of people not minding God and whatever else. But God always, he always brings to our mind, yeah, but look at so-and-so. And I can name some of you right here, some of you that are here in this service this morning, that God has brought your face before me and said, yeah, but look at him. Look what God did with him. Look where he used to be. Now look how she's doing. Well, I understand Paul then when he said, you are our joy. God always is able to buck us up. And I'm grateful for this in the right way. And then I got to quit. Or we could keep going and let the nursery people earn even more years off of purgatory. <laughs> there, are, there are times when, most of the time, frankly, I don't feel, and I think it's good for me at least, God isn't wringing his hands and bawling over me, meaning, oh, I'm sorry, you're discouraged, Danny. It's kind of, hey, buck up. Look at him, look at her, look at what I did there. Quit sniveling around, stand up straight, square your shoulders keep going I can't do that 
unless God has a lot of people like you to bring before my face. And I think, you know what, Lord? Yeah, I'll keep going. It's worth it. So, on this Thanksgiving day, I want to thank you for your establishment in the faith, your example, and your encouragement. May God bless all of you deeply and richly for what you minister to us that are ministering to you. Let's bow our heads. <clears throat> and Dan, if you will come and dismiss us this morning. Father in heaven, this morning I want to just echo Pastor Dan's message on behalf of myself and Pastor Tanner and all those that are on staff here at the church. Thank you for allowing us the privilege to serve in this church that you've called us to. And we are grateful, Lord, and help us to never forget how good a church this really is. But I want to make sure, Lord, that we keep things into perspective here this morning as well. For all the congregation, for all the sheep that are part of this flock, I know ultimately they don't do it for us. They do it for you. They do it for your honor and for your glory and because you've called them to do what they're doing as well. When they serve behind the scenes, when they show up early, when they give a meal or a cup of water or just an encouraging word, not just to the pastors on staff here, but to our community to their family members, to the people they're working with. Help us to always remember, Lord, that everything we do, we do it as though we're doing it unto Christ. As grateful as we are, I'm more grateful, Lord, to know that the people of this church serve this church and this community and their families and their establishments where they work for your glory. And help us to always remember, Lord, that we do that by your grace. So thank you for the work that you've done in hearts, and for the fruit that those hearts produce for your glory. May we continue to do that. Keep our eyes fixed on you so that we will not grow weary in the well-doing that we're doing, the well, the well good that we're doing. So, Father, just help us to always walk with our eyes fixed on you in all that we do. And that we love you with all of our hearts. And we love others as ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. You are dismissed. Have a great day, everyone.